He used us in that process of leaving, not just to steward and to sharpen and to shepherd the local congregation that we planted in Dallas, but to do that in our own lives. There was so much growth that needed to take place in Megan and I's lives as we left. And so we see this as an enormous blessing and a huge answer to prayer. And it didn't come with, without a lot of tears and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of all the things that we all live through as we make big decisions as we feel like God's calling us out into waters that are unknown. So uh, I'm extremely grateful for this church and the way that you love my kids. You can see just with these guys and what they're saying. Uh, oftentimes, Megan and I, uh, when we lay the kids down, we feel like failures. And so uh, to hear other people hear how our kids are interacting is very encouraging because <laughs> sometimes we feel like we're terrible parents. They're in here, so it's hard to say, but we love you a lot and we want to be the best parents that we can. Okay, so they ate up most of my time. Just that's the reality, okay? So, which was great. It's cool. Um, I have 50 minutes, and so I've got to do it all. And so that's what we're going to do here. Um, I'm just teasing. But let's dive in. We close out uh, Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And so we spent, this is the eighth week of, uh, that we've been in Hebrews 11. And so today we come uh, really to the climax, to the end um, of this great chapter uh, in the book of Hebrews. And um, so this is Hebrews chapter 11 verses 32 through 40. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we're going to come back in like we do most weeks and and look at it line by line. This is the word of the Lord. Hebrews 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Verse 39. In all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church and just the time that we have uh, to gather together corporately as a church family. God, I especially thank you for um, the children that are in this room right now. And as we talk a lot about doing church as family. It's mornings like this where we really live it out. So God, I'm so thankful. I pray more than anything this morning that little ounces of the gospel would start to drip on their hearts, that you would save them, and that this church would be a a part of the story of their salvation. So we thank you that we have them in here. We pray for our attention spans. We pray for our patience. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this word uh, today. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. 
Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11, as we come uh, to the end here, uh, I, wanna, I really want to break this down into like four different chunks, if that's okay. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to look at verse 32. And uh, we're going to look at these six figures that the author brings out as really our last examples of what faith looks like in this world. And then we'll look at verses 33 and 34 as a unit, and then 35 through 38, and then lastly, 39 and 40. Okay, so that's where we're headed. We're going to stay in Hebrews all morning, so uh, no flipping back and forth. Uh, One of the things I came across in one of the the books I was reading um, over the last couple of weeks is um, he he writes this, and I can't remember who wrote it, Um, so whatever, somebody else wrote this. Okay, just listen. I think it's beautiful. It says, Hebrews 11 is poetic in its cadence. It's panoramic in its historical sweep and eminently relevant in its challenge. This chapter calls the believer to faithful endurance by use of voluminous testimony from the lives of ancient saints. That's what we've been doing in Hebrews 11, right? A few weeks ago, when, um, so by the way, I I preached two sermons in Hebrews 11. Both of them were not by faith passages. So um, Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 was an in faith, and this is a through faith. Okay, I don't think that was intentional. Um, I know it wasn't. I was part of that meeting. Um, but it is interesting as you see the rhythm, right? And we've, we talk about this a lot as we see God's word played out as, um, as a story, right? You see by faith, by faith. It has a rhythm to it, by faith, by faith. And then the writer takes a pause because we can only hear that so much before we need something different, right? Okay, you're telling me about these great people, but what about me? Right? And so we see in faith and this kind of reinvigoration of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And then we're back to the rhythm of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then we get to the end. And it's no longer by faith, it's through faith. And so I want to make that really clear. I know words matter. And you hear me say this all the time. Words matter a lot. And God's words matter even more than any of the words, right? And so it's not an accident that we see a rhythm, we see a break in cadence when we're by faith, by faith, in faith, by faith, by faith, through faith. And so I want to press in to that a little bit this morning. But I love that, that it's poetic in its cadence, panoramic in its historical sweep, and imminently relevant in its challenge. I, I think that's true. It's certainly been true for me, and I hope it's been true for you as we deep dive into some of these Old Testament figures. So let's do that now with these six new uh, characters that have been introduced in Hebrews 11. This is Hebrews 11:32. It says, what more shall I say? Obviously rhetorical. Speakers don't ask questions that need to be answered, partly because you don't answer them. The other is because it can get awkward, right? So what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Kind of a catch-all there at the end. So what I want to do real quickly is I want to go back and I want to look at these six guys. I want to tell a little bit of their stories and why are they here? How did they make, why did they make Hebrews 11? I think one of the things that's true for all six of these, including the prophets, is that they live faithfully before God in a very hostile world. Okay? That's the one thing that they all have in common. They were faithful in the midst of hostility. Okay? None of their lives were easy. All right? And I think that some of the challenges that they faced, and we'll go through them. Let's look at Gideon first. Gideon demanded signs from God and led Israel to sin when he made an effort. Right? Remember the story of Gideon? You don't remember that part usually. What we remember is that he serves as a powerful example of faith. Since he and his 300, remember this story? Now you remember Gideon? The 300 select men, they routed the massive Midianite army, just smashed them. Right? With jars, like empty jars. 
right? I mean, that, that's not the weapon of mass war, but it's the weapon of the 300. They use torches and empty jars to win. Let's look at Barak. Barak led Israel to defeat Sisera and the Canaanites. What we don't remember usually about him is that he was dependent on Deborah for everything, right? Deborah was almost like a sorceress to Barak, okay? Samson, remember Samson? He holds on to the things, but what we don't remember about Samson is that he had a hard time keeping his robe tied, okay? That's about all we can say about that, all right? It's a kid's Sunday, right? But Samson served as a great champion of the Israelites during a period of the Philistine oppression, right? That's what we remember. These are not perfect people. Look at Jephthah. Do you remember Jephthah, the vow that he made? He made a vow to sacrifice his own daughter, right? Against all of God's commands. And yet he leads an army to defeat the Amorites and the Ammonites. Right? These, are, these are not just like leaders in the, in the township. These are like, these are generals. These are important figures in the life of Israel. Samuel is the, the bridge, right, between the judges and then the monarch. But David, we know David, right? David, the great adulterer who tries to cover it up by killing her husband, right? But David is remembered as living a life of devotion, performing incredible things for God, right? So what do we take from this? And it's not just these six that had these huge sore spots in the light of great faithfulness. It's all of them from the beginning of the chapter to the end. These are not perfect people. Hebrews 11, right, the hall of faith, is not a hall of perfect people. It's a hall of broken people used by God in spite of their brokenness, because of their brokenness. It's in our brokenness that God uses us in mightier ways than in our wholeness, because now it's not about us. It's about him. Let's look at verse 33 and 34. This is where it becomes very poetic again, all right? So go back to that line that I read at the beginning. Verse 33, it says, These who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions, hinting at David, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 34, they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war, and they put foreign armies to flight. It sounds a whole lot like what we expect the government to do, doesn't it? And I don't mean this to be a political thing. We expect others to do thee. We expect others to conquer kingdoms. We expect others to enforce justice. The call here is that it's God's people who do that. It's me and you. It's brothers and sisters under the banner of Christ's lordship that we enforce justice, that we obtain promises, that we stop the mouths of lions, and then we quench the burn of the fire, the power of the fire. The author here has two points, that the promise-making God is faithful to his promise all the time, every single time, and that the people of faith live in light of God's promises. That's what Daniel did. That's what his three buddies did as they were dragged into the fiery furnace. Or do you know this story? 
Last time I went to Daniel, I don't think it went well, but I'm going to go back to Daniel if we can. But I'm not going to flip there, because I promise you we wouldn't have to do that. But I'll tell the story real quick, right? What, what is the story here? They refuse to bow down and to serve other gods, right? So they take them, and they throw them into all these things, and they're trying to persecute them and kill them, and finally they're just over. And they throw them into a fiery furnace to, to burn it up, as hot as it has ever been. <laughs> Gabe, I don't know if you're doing that at me or if you're doing that at a baby, but it's entirely distracting. Oh. Uh, Hebrews 11, right? That's where we are, okay? Um, okay, so Daniel then and his buddies, get, they get dragged into the fiery furnace, right? And they, they come out unburned, but not just unburned, their clothes aren't even singed, right? And the guys who throw them in, they burn up. That's how hot the fire is, but God protects them. But it's less about the fact that David and his companions didn't get burned up as the faith that it took for them to walk there. What do they say? We will worship God alone if he delivers us. But even if he doesn't, this is one of the most powerful scriptures in all of the Bible, even if he doesn't, we will serve him and serve him alone. That's the beauty of faith. That's what faith looks like, real faith. And that's hard for us to really grasp. But even if he doesn't, we will remain faithful. Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, they all escaped the sword. I love, um, he, Gabe mentioned, so I went to Dallas Seminary and I studied historical theology and spiritual formation as I try to figure out how to be a better pastor, okay? Uh, one of the things I, that happened um, on accident was that I began to fall in love with the early church, particularly the key men that God used in those first few pivotal centuries of the church. And one of those is Justin Martyr. And he wrote this. He says, they can kill us, but they can never hurt us. That's what this looks like. That's the type of faith that will walk you through a fiery furnace, right? And this isn't like, what's the fiery furnace in your life thing? There's, there's a literal fiery furnace, okay? That's, this is not an analogy. This is real. And Justin, who was martyred, he was killed for his faith, killed for really his leadership in his faith, says they can kill us, but they can never hurt us. And then he lost his life for the sake of the gospel. I hope you'll remember that. They can kill us, but they can never hurt us. Let's look at verse 35 down through 38. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Okay, this is Old Testament resurrection, by the way. Did you know there was resurrection in the Old Testament? There was. Happened a couple of times. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a, what does it say? What does it say right there? Rise to a what? A better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What I love about how this is postured in this book, right here at the end, is that even death can't stop the work of God. Even death can't stop the work of God on behalf of his people. Right? And we talk, we've talked a lot about faith from the very beginning. We've defined faith a hundred different times, a hundred different ways, but there's really just one way to define faith. Faith is a gift of God. Right? So there's nothing really separate about 
Daniel. Except for the fact that God went before Daniel and gave him a faith to endure what he was going through. God went before Samson. He went before David. He went before Jephthah and Barak and Samuel. Right? That's how faith works. And so our prayer must shift. It takes more faith to endure than it does to escape. I love that line. It takes more faith to endure than it does to escape. A couple years ago, well, one of the things that um, I, has accidentally happened in my life is um, when we moved here and I started working where I'm working currently, um, we get to work in some of the U.S. embassies around the world, and, which is fascinating. And four years ago, I thought, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? I'm going to Amman, you know? So a couple years ago, I was in uh, Jordan, and I had a day off, and I went to the Dead Sea. And I told this story, uh, like, maybe the first week that I preached um, a couple years ago. And um, we, I walked down to the Jordan River, the place where Jesus was baptized, which is now dry land, okay? That's what's happened to the, the Jordan. It used to be like this, and now it's like this. I'll show you a picture sometime. Sorry about that picture, by the way. I didn't know that was happening. Um, there's, I'm not, we're not going to talk about it, Okay. <laughs> Um, but I'll show you a picture of um, the, the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. So it's dry land. They've got it, you know, it's, it's a monument now, right? There's all kinds of things around it. And this is, on, this is on the Jordan side of the Jordan River. So most people who go to Israel don't get to see it because, you, because they're not nice to each other, right? And so you can't go across like this very easily. Um, and so I'm standing here and I'm looking at this place. And then I'm looking at this like little muddy creek that's running through down to the Dead Sea. And, and the guy who's our guide, um, who sp- spoke pretty good English, I guess that's what he does for a living, he tells us to turn around. And up on the mountainside is a bunch of caves, okay, caves on the mountain. And one of those caves was where David fled Saul, right? And so you begin to see it, it took a lot of effort to get into that cave. It took a lot of danger. It took a lot of risk. It probably was filled with fear. And yet David went, and he scaled the cliff, and he went into the den, and he hid, right? Sometimes God calls us to leave things that are really comfortable to go places that are very uncomfortable. And the only way you get from point A to point B is for him to give you the faith to get there. Sometimes he asks you to leave the church that you planted, the church that you love. And you don't know why, and you can't explain it, and then four years later, here you are with another church that you love, and you can't explain it, okay? So this is how God works. I love what it says here in verse 38, before it talks about wandering in the desert. It says, the world was not worthy of these men. The reality is, because of the grip of sin on human nature, the world is not worthy of the gospel. And yet God has given us the gospel in his goodness and in his kindness. So we can't We can't forget that as we move forward, just like these men. Verse 39, let's jump down. It says this, And all these, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. How does that make you feel? You want to come forward now and be baptized? Or we do that later? Right? We just talk about persecution. We talked about being sawn in two. We talked about torture, fiery furnaces. We talked about all these stuff. Then we haven't even talked about Jesus yet, right? And the death that he endured. And all these commended through their faith. 
which is amazing in and of itself. If we just put a period there, then we're good. And yet the writer does it. Then he goes on and says, they did not receive what was promised. Verse 40, since God had provided something better. This kind of feels like Daniel again, doesn't it? Even if he doesn't, we will still worship him. Since God has provided something better. If Daniel and his friends had died in the fiery furnace, is God still good? I mean, this is what I was talking about earlier. About the, This one's not rhetorical. Is he still good? Yes, he is. Is he still loving and kind and gracious? Does he still have your best interest at heart? Yes, even if it's painful. Even if it's painful. Even if it costs you everything. We forget that. And it, this feels like this is, a, this is a tough thing to talk about, right? I mean, being a Christian in America is fairly comfortable. Right? I mean, nobody checked your ID as you came in. I think we're going to start doing that in a couple weeks, though. Um, but nobody, you, you're going to get in your car, and you're going to go home, and nobody's going to ever ask you what you've been doing or why you have a Bible on your dash or any of that kind of stuff. It's harder for us to follow Jesus in that culture than it is for these men who are fleeing for their lives. It's easier to hide. It's easier to not grow in discipleship. And so I'm going to close this morning by talking about discipleship, okay? Uh, we, you heard uh, them talk about catechesis, right? And a catechism is basically a form of discipleship. It's not discipleship defined, but it's a form. It's a way to teach our brains and our hearts how to respond to adversity. So when you ask Brayden, my seven-year-old, about something in life, he's going to respond first with thinking through, okay, well, who is God? Oh, God's our creator and king. Okay, well, right? And it's not always his response, right? He's not perfect yet. We're working on it, right? My response isn't always, oh, who's God? Yeah, he's our creator and king. Sometimes it's like, no, you know? And that's part of being human. That's part of being in Hebrews 11. God doesn't ask you to be perfect. He asks you to be what? Faithful. And the little faith of a seven-year-old can inspire the faith of a 36-year-old. I just turned 36, so I'm barely 36. I'm still closer to 35, okay? Mid-30s. I love it, right? So a few key things to take away. And I believe this wholeheartedly. And you heard me say this a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, sojourners, right? That the church is at her best when she's at the margin. The church is at her best when she's been marginalized. When church becomes comfortable, my fear is that our faith becomes comfortable, and we kind of lose the meat of it. It doesn't mean as much. The church is at its best when it's on the margins of society. The life of faith is the only life that pleases God. That's it. He doesn't require anything of you. Did you know that? Not a single thing. Not one thing, actually. Everything that is required for you to have faith was given to you through the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone. That's it. So if you're coming in here and your participation in this church is part of your effort to grow in godliness, you can stop. I mean, you should keep coming because God does call us into community and we grow together. But if you're coming in order to get that, He's already given it to you. You have it. You haven't realized it. You might not understand it. You might not know how to articulate it. 
but it's been given to you. This is what it looks like to live in community. The life of faith is the only life that pleases God. Lastly, and then I'm going to close with um, a little story. It says, faith enables us to turn from the approval of the world and seek only the approval of God. That's what faith does. Have you ever like, really been concerned about what other people think about you? I was highly concerned when you saw that picture, the way you thought about me. And I'm not kidding. Because that looks like a crazy person. Now, I am a little goofy, okay? And you'll learn that. Um, we were going to Mexico. My wife and I, we hadn't been on vacation, the two of us, in like a year, okay? So, in coronavirus, and we have three kids, and I just wanted to have some fun, okay? <laughs> Faith enables us to turn from the approval of the world and seek only the approval of God. That, friends, is what will help our faith endure when times get tough, when culture shifts, when laws shift, when things get a little bit harder, or maybe God calls you to a place in the world where it's not easy to meet like this. I've been to places like that. I've been to places when I landed, there were people following us everywhere we went. That's reality on this planet. The last um, story, and I'm going to tie this in. So um, a couple weeks ago, you heard me talk about how much I enjoy reading, and I've been on a, I was on a rabbit trail. I've kicked the rabbit trail. Praise God. I'm on to something new. It's been great. Um, it's not really that new, but I've been reading a book on Winston Churchill, and I don't know why. I've always wanted to, never have. And one of the stories that came up in this book, and it was, this was during um, uh, 1941, so right as the, the war is at its climax, Germany is about to invade Britain, okay? And he's sitting with his cabinet, and at this point, Churchill's older. He's still really fat, but he's older, and he has a really young guy, a really young guy, like in his early 20s, who's on, you know, part of his cabinet. And they're worried at this point that Britain's going to run out of resources, okay? They had just been aiding in France. Now France has been taken, and uh, Britain is out of stuff. They don't, have, they don't have bullets. They don't have planes. They don't have anything, right? And they're, now they're fearful that Germany's going to come and invade Britain, and they'll fall as well, right? And so Winston's sitting here. I call him Winston. Sometimes I call him Winnie. Um, but... I'm just kidding. So he's sitting there with his cabinet, okay? And uh, this guy speaks up, and he, he has this new perspective. They're the most concerned at this point about coal reserves, okay? How are they going to power the country in the midst of war so that they can produce these other things that they need to produce, okay? The United States wasn't being all that helpful at the time. It's a different story, okay? So this guy presents this plan, and he says, hey, listen, uh, there's this whole campaign that's gone across the entire country about Stop the Drip. That was the name, Stop the Drip. And they were concerned about how much coal was being used with a leaky faucet. Okay? So they spent an enormous amount of money and a ton of resources to put out this campaign to Stop the Drip, have a plumber come fix your pipe. Okay? So this young guy, 20-something, sits down and he runs the numbers on the campaign. How much coal was used to, print, to take the trees down, to, to harvest the trees, to print the paper, to distribute them across the country? It was a hundred times as much coal as a leaky faucet. And so he presents it to Winston. And he says, well, stop the campaign, right? Sometimes discipleship feels like busyness, right? Stop the drip, stop the drip, stop the drip, stop the drip, stop the drip. But sometimes what we have to do is just narrow our focus a little bit and realize that, hey, we're worried we're concerned about something that's distracting us for some, from something that's greater. 
Okay? I love this story because if you know anything about him, he's really sharp, he's really quick, and he's very witty. Okay? And so and he probably, I'm reading in a British accent. I can't help it. Okay? And so he's, you know, the way that he responds to this young guy. Can you imagine being 20-something in your early 20s? I was, I was not smart in my early 20s, and neither were you. Okay? And can you imagine sitting in a war cabinet in wartime with the prime minister of your country and saying, hey, this is a mistake, right? It takes a little bit of faith. It takes a lot of courage, right? That is what this looks like played out. Sometimes we need to be the guy who stands up and says, hey, this isn't working. We need to do something different. Sometimes we need to ask God, Lord, we need you to increase our faith because right now I don't see it and I'm scared. Have you been there? I'm sure this guy, I don't remember his name, was scared to stand up and to say it. I know he was scared. He had to be. He's human. Okay? Unless he was just really not that smart and then he didn't know how to feel emotion. Right? So I want to close with this and let this be our closing prayer. This is Hebrews 11. Verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Lord, would you increase our faith as brothers, as sisters, as people who love you, but as people who desperately need you to help us grow, to grow in our likeness of Christ, to grow in our love and kindness towards others, to grow as parents and as teachers and as business owners and as whatever you've called us to do. God, I'm thankful for these eight weeks as we took a deep dive into Hebrews 11. I pray that these heroes would be emblazoned on our hearts, that we would not forget their stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Sarah, of Samson, of Gideon, of Jephthah, of Barak, of David, Samuel, these imperfect people used for your glory and their good. God, would you give us that courage? Would you give us that faith? I thank you for this church. Words can never express the gratitude that I have to be here. We love you. We thank you. We pray now as we enter into a time of response in worship that you would go before us in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.